prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
second reading then. Can you hear? Sorry, I can't hear that. Um, so the second reading is from John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, and you can find this on page 1076 in the Bibles beside you. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I... And the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. 
If you guys want to stretch out your hands to David, our Heavenly Father, thank you for, for David. Thank you that you have anointed him, Lord, to speak to us. Would you fill him tonight, Lord, with your spirit? Lord, would the words he speak, would they cut to our heart? Would they transform us? Heavenly Father, fill him now. Fill him to overflowing. Fill him with abundant life, Lord. As he communicates your word, Lord. Mm. Your amazing word. And let us be transformed in hearing the word of God through David. Amen. Amen. Well, we all love sheep, don't we? <laughs> they are everywhere. We might live in a city and have nothing to do with farming and never have been on a farm or done anything with sheep before, but we all have sheep, don't we? Fluffy ones, stuck on notepads, fridge magnets, little um, pottery sheep you can put on your lawn. They're everywhere, aren't they? Onesies, slippers that have got sheep on. Is there anybody here who doesn't have anything with a sheep on? Anyway, you don't need to put up your hand and confess, but we've all got them. Well, sheep are in abundance. And um, soon it'll be lambing time, and we'll love to be out there, won't we? And seeing the lambs and the bleating of, of lambs and sheep in the, the pastures, the hills of, of Hampshire. And I was very tempted to put up lots of lovely pictures of sheep from the Lake District up there, but I thought that would be really too much of a distraction. So, but actually, our love of sheep may not be that surprising, because sheep have really been quite important in our economy for centuries, and not just here, but throughout the world. And although, um, you know, they provide wool, they provide meat, um, they're an essential part of our economy and our clothing. Um, and, you know, those vast churches that we see in Norfolk, don't we, are all part of that sort of sheep economy from the Middle Ages. But anyone who's connected with farming will also tell you that sheep are jolly hard work. And that's no less true in New Testament times. Although the sheep in New Testament times looked a little bit different from our lovely woolly Hampshire sheep, they would look a little bit more like goats, which is why Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats was uh, very much uh, harder to distinguish than we might think. So in the Bible, Sheep and shepherds are mentioned about 300 times, according to uh, my little um, uh, check. Um, and quite a number are well-known, aren't they, outside church circles. A lot of people will know the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And lots of um, music, like Handel's Messiah, very much has got those kind of uh, features in them. But in the Bible... Sheep and shepherds 
have a very special significance. They're often used as a picture of the relationship between God and his people. And King David was set up to be a kind of personification of the shepherd king, the one anointed by God to look after and care for his people. And we'll pick that up a little bit later. And alongside this, sheep were also key, you'll remember, in the Passover when the people of Israel were delivered from slavery in Egypt. And that remained a picture of that sacrifice that was needed to liberate and save God's people. And continued, of course, in the, the sacrificial system in the temple. So the parable or allegory that Jesus uses here takes up some of those themes. But it's so much more than just a nice picture of a shepherd and his sheep. And I want you to I want you just take you through some of that. I hope you'll bear with me in it. Um, and I'd like just, us just to dig a bit deeper. But before I do, just think for yourselves, just for a moment, who are the sheep? Who's the shepherd? What is the sheepfold? Why is there a gate or a door? Who's the gatekeeper? The thieves and robbers and the hired man. They've all got some significance, but I'm only going to have time to just pick up three little key points, really, from the passage. And they're really around three sayings of Jesus. I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, and I have come that they might have life. So we'll start off just looking at what Jesus says about being the gate. And you know, it's a funny thing, isn't it? But whenever we read this passage, we skip over that bit because we're so keen to get to the next bit about when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We forget that first of all, he says, I am the gate. And that's got huge importance. Um, just so we get the picture... Um, first of all, I just want to set the context of the passage. The passage is just set by John in a context where Jesus has just been in dispute about the Pharisees, about his identity. And the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees, have just overheard him after healing a blind man say about spiritual blindness and not actually recognizing him who, for who he was, which is why that first bit of the passage, and perhaps, Nigel, you could pop that up again for us if you can, um, is all about not recognizing Jesus for who he is. But, um, but some do and some don't. Um, just coming back to the sheepfold, in Old Testament times, um, a sheepfold would usually have been a kind of courtyard attached to a house um, where the sheep were kept, particularly at night. Um, and it may have been used by more than one family. So hence the business about shepherds knowing their sheep and calling out their sheep by name. Because actually, if you've got different families and different people all keeping their sheep in the same sheepfold, you could get into an enormous muddle, couldn't you? But the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. And so when the shepherd calls them out, they come. And I understand that's still true in the Middle East today. But in that first bit of the passage, the people would immediately have recognized 
that when Jesus was talking about the sheep and the sheepfold, he was talking about God's people, the people of Israel, the people God had called into relationship with himself. And the point that he was making is though who recognized him as the Messiah, the true shepherd, would follow him, but there would be others who wouldn't recognize him and wouldn't. A bit like the parable um, of uh, the sower, you know, when some hear and some don't. Um, it's very much like that. But the people, of his, the leaders of Israel, who didn't have God's heart for the, for the welfare of the sheep, were no better than the thieves and robbers. Because the, thieves, the, the, the leaders of the people, as the kings and the priests throughout the history, should have had that concern for the people of God, like we saw in that passage in Ezekiel. But they betrayed them, preferring instead to hold on to their power and wealth at the sacrifice of the people. There's also the implication in the Gospels that it was the crowds, the ordinary people, who responded to Jesus and recognized him as the Messiah. And do you remember when Matthew says Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd? And I don't think it's any kind of, you know, coincidence that Matthew uses those words, sheep without a shepherd, to depict God's people at that time. People waiting for their true shepherd, waiting for their Messiah to meet their needs. So back to that saying of what Jesus said about I am the gate. Actually, that would really have been shocking to the people at that time. For Jesus to stand and say, I am the gate. Well, they would have been thinking, well, but we are God's people. We are the, the ones God has chosen. But actually Jesus says, now, I am the gate. I am the entrance into the kingdom. I am the one through whom you need to come to inherit the kingdom that's been promised in all its fullness, in all that God intended it to be. I am the gate. I have become the entry point, the one who is sent. And we remember later, that, of course, in John's Gospel, he says he's the only one. I am the way, the true, and the life. He's saying something very similar here, but we don't always make that connection, do we? So secondly, let's just move on to what Jesus says about I am the good shepherd. And notice that word good. That's in contrast to what he said just before. Um in contrast to the bad shepherds, the, the failure of the, the leaders of Israel. And if we can just put that passage in Ezekiel up just briefly, Nigel, thank you. So first of all, we, that God says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter, but you don't take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. So Jesus is saying, 
I am the good shepherd. I'm not like those who've been before. I'm not like those who have not cared for the flock and the sheep. Um, and the good shepherd, if we go to the end of that passage, does the opposite. This is God himself saying, I am going to send you a, sh a good shepherd. I am going to be your shepherd. This is what Jesus fulfills. I myself um, will rescue my flock from their mouths. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Now, that's a bit allegorical, but it also refers to the way that uh, the people of Israel were scattered, particularly at the time of the exile. Um, but, but it's looking forward to a day when Israel will somehow be gathered into the people that God intended them to be. And if we can um, go back, sorry, Nigel, to John 10 again, um, we see that that's, that's one of the things that Jesus is going to do. He's going to bring that unity, not just to those um, who respond to him from the people of, of God, the Jews, but also to bring that unity into all those who are going to respond to him throughout the world and throughout all ages, that total unity in him. Now, that also has that sense of bringing back into relationship all who are out of relationship, restoring us into relationship with one another, breaking down those barriers. As Paul says, there's no longer male, female, Jew, Gentile, all are one in Christ Jesus. That's a picture of our unity in him as the people of God in his kingdom that he's bringing in. And also, um, the sheep are going to be brought back. And that, that's a little bit reminiscent of, um, of the parable of the lost sheep, isn't it? Uh, just reminded me of one of those times when, I don't know if you've been in this situation, but you're walking down a lane or a track in the countryside, and there's some stupid sheep that's, that's along the side, isn't there? And you walk along, hoping to get past the sheep, but of course, the silly sheep doesn't go back to where he's meant to be. He carries on going, and you find yourself thinking, I wish the shepherd or farmer would turn up and get this silly sheep back into his fold. Just a picture of the way sheep, where we need to encounter God to bring us back into the flock. You'll see also in the passage, um, the little bit where he says, um, he will come in and go out and find pasture. That sense of freedom, of coming that freedom. Paul talks about the glorious freedom of the sons of God, that freedom that we have. There's a real sense of just being there and God's providing for us. He's providing our nurture, providing for all our needs. And we have just that freedom in him as we're following him. And verse 12 also tells us something important about our relationship to the shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. I'm sorry, I've moved on a little bit to verse 27. Um, 
This isn't a take it or leave it bit with our shepherd, is it? This is Jesus who tells us that we shall never perish and no one can snatch us out of his hand. Isn't that great? That's a real assurance. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. We can choose not to go through that gate. We can choose to walk away. We can choose to ignore what Jesus offers us. We can choose to reject him, but he will not reject us or forsake us when we turn to him. But of course, there's something else that's much more profound about the good shepherd Jesus tells us about. All those things we've spoken about before could not happen without the last bit. Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. None of this is possible. We can't become his sheep. We can't enjoy the benefits of being his people. We can't enter his kingdom. Nothing of this is going to happen without Jesus making that sacrifice for us on the cross where he takes on himself our our punishment, our sin, all that we deserve, all that we've messed up, all that's gone wrong in our lives, all those damaged relationships, all those failures, all those things of which we're hopelessly ashamed. Jesus takes that for us. Um, The shepherd, the good shepherd, becomes the sacrificial lamb. It's amazing, isn't it? Okay, the last of the sayings I'm just going to pick up from here and the one that Rosie brought to our attention in the prayers. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the key, I think, in this whole passage. This is the key um, to our healing and why I chose to speak on it. Jesus contrasts what he's come to do with the thief who came only to steal and kill and destroy. It's not entirely clear whether this is a direct reference to the work of Satan in the world, but it's definitely those who are opposed to his kingdom. So what does it mean when Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. What does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us tonight? What does it mean for our lives? It's clear that our eternal life begins now. When Jesus talks about life in verse 10, he's also amplifying it in verse 28, that this really means eternal life that through his death we're saved from the consequences of our sin and have the promise of eternal life. But, you know, we love that, John 3.16, but we don't always realize that actually the eternal life isn't something out there. It isn't something, you know, that's wonderful after we die. Actually, eternal life begins now. This whole passage is about our relationship with the shepherd and what he provides for us in the here and now as his people as part of his kingdom, 
we enjoy the benefits of that eternal life in his kingdom in the here and now. And that's the most important thing to grasp hold of. So what does that mean? Um, Really, I think it means a journey into wholeness. We're not ultimately going to be perfect in this world. Um, And a lot of it is going to happen, is going to be fulfilled after we pass on from this world. But that sense of shalom, of well-being, of wholeness, is more than just peace. It means our well-being spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and in our relationship with God, with our family, with our friends, our neighbours, our community, and in its wider sense, our relationship with creation. So this is our healing. It begins with the restoration of our relationship with God through the cross. But we need to come through that gate to to actually bring it into being. Jesus offers to us in his kingdom um, our salvation without distinction or preference. The Father heart of our God is to forgive, restore, renew, heal, bring us into relationship with him that lasts for eternity. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to bring in. And we are partakers of that kingdom through our faith in him. But there's something else, sorry. We also need to recognize that there's a cost to following Jesus. And we see it here. Being part of the flock means we have to be willing to put aside our own agendas, our own ambitions, and to come under his authority, to come under the authority of the shepherd, and to follow him all our days. So how might we respond tonight to our good shepherd? First, We need to be listening to him, listening out for him. We need to hear his invitation to us again as the gate to the sheepfold. We need to come to him in repentance and faith. And if we've not done that before, to come in faith and to receive his gift of eternal life. And then, as his sheep and his flock, we also need to be listening for his voice to lead us. Both individually and as a church, we need to be seeking his, his heart and leading the direction he knows is best for us. Just like the shepherds in Jesus' day who would call their sheep out of the sheepfold by name. And thirdly, we need to take hold of all that God offers to us as his people and those who are partakers of the kingdom, those who've been brought from death into life. I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. There's a little song by Graham Kendrick that we don't sing anymore, and I don't know why, because it's one of my best. It says, the price is paid. 
Come, let us enter in to all that Jesus died to make our own. The price is paid. Come, let us enter in to all that Jesus died to make our own. You know, one of the things um, that came up on Monday as we were praying about tonight, Rosie had a picture of a treasure chest. I'm sorry, this really should be one of those treasure chests on Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> but I haven't got a treasure chest like the Pirates of the Caribbean. So this will have to make do, and you'll have to pretend. But this treasure chest is full of all good things. I'm sorry, you've got to use your imagination a little bit. But there's lots of riches, lots of jewels, lots of good things here in this treasure chest. And the picture that Rosie had was of a treasure chest that is sitting on the altar. And it's sitting on an altar because that treasure chest comes to us through what Jesus has done for us. But I sense that uh, for some of us maybe uh, that treasure chest might be closed or maybe we've only just really peeped into what that treasure chest might hold for us. So I'm just going to leave that there just as a symbol of what God promises to us. We need to enter in to all that Jesus has made available to us through his cross, his healing and renewal in whatever way we might need at this moment today. It might be something that we're struggling with physically. It may be things mentally that we're really having to deal with. It may be things emotionally. We may be struggling with anxiety. We may just need to experience more of God, more of his love for us, and just to know that we are part of his kingdom. We're in his sheepfold. We're part of his flock. We might just want to be thirsty for more of him, more of his power, more of his Holy Spirit, more of his gifts, more of what he offers for us. We may need healing of our relationships and the things that we're struggling with. So in a few minutes, I'm going to suggest that we might like to come for prayer and anointing. We're going to have a little station there where we can be anointed with oil. Now, anointing isn't um, one of those kind of magic things, but it is a symbol of what God offers to us, a symbol of his healing for us and whatever we want to receive. And then, uh, when we've been anointed, I'm going to suggest that we, we move into prayer for one another. Maybe you'd like to take advantage of the prayer ministry team who will be um, available for you. But I'll come to that in a minute. 
we may not always see our prayer or needs answered immediately or in the way we expect. But what we do know is that God always hears us. And his heart of compassion responds to that. Our faith in him to respond to our need depends on who he is and not how much faith we can necessarily generate or feel. Some have come to me quite a long time after we've prayed for something and, and said, you know what? We prayed for that, you know, a long time ago. And actually, it's taken a really long time. But now I really feel that God, has an- God answered that prayer. And um, there's a little phrase that I've held on to that says, um, and it's a little bit out of context, but it's a phrase I think that is helpful. God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I think very often when we pray, we need to take hold of that. God who begins a good work in you as you pray for whatever is on your heart will bring it to completion, will bring it in due course. Sometimes, then, it's only with hindsight that we see God's healing hand on our lives and our answer to our needs. But sometimes we do experience that immediate sense of relief of pain and healing. Sometimes we just need to hang in there and persist, don't we? And the last thing I'm going to say is that, of course, we have a responsibility as those who've experienced the riches of his, God's, of his love, the riches of his kingdom, to share them with others also. We don't keep them for ourselves, but God blesses us so we can in turn bless others and draw them also into the kingdom. So when we're, when we're receiving from God tonight, let's remember also that actually we need more of him to share and bless others. Um, so, just as I said earlier, what we're going to do, I'm going to say a prayer in a moment. And I'm going to say a prayer of commitment that, that Nigel's going to put up in the stream, screen in just a moment. And after we've said that prayer, what I'd like us to do is to move to where Mike will be, over on my right there. And Mike's going to have some um, oil there just to anoint us. Now, it's a very simple act. What it means is, I just want to receive, Lord, your healing, your touch, your anointing for my life at this moment tonight. So I just encourage you, just simply, to move forward and do that. And then, uh, when, when you've had that anointing, uh, you can go back to your seat, if that's what you want to do, and just spend some time quietly on your, on your own. You might want to go and pray with the prayer ministry team, um, and maybe um, Thomas and Victoria, I could ask you to be by mic over there, um, available for people to pray with. And, um, but then, you might just want to pray together, in threes, like we've done before. Um, and what I would encourage you to do as you pray for one another is just to ask uh, for the Holy Spirit to come, just ask to be aware of the presence of Jesus. 
just um, share very simply with one another what you'd like to pray for and pray for each one individually. What I'd ask you to do is to really just, ex just respect that confidence of what that person has shared with you. Um, so, that, so that it's kept confidential just amongst yourselves and, and that you can trust one another in that. Victoria. Victoria.